Stephanie Peart, and welcome back to the Salty Science Podcast. Well, good news, our area survived Hurricane Dorian. Yay! We only got a little bit of rain and some wind, but thankfully nothing major. And I definitely count my blessings because I know some areas got hit quite hard, so my thoughts and prayers continue to go out to everyone who's been impacted by Hurricane Dorian. Okay, so in last week's episode, we began to look at sea surface temperatures and began to make connections between what we discussed in episodes 3 and 4, where we discussed the sun and solar radiation, to a vital marine science topic, which was sea surface temperatures, which one of the main controlling factors is the sun and the solar radiation that it emits. And of course, there are other factors, but the sun does play the biggest role. And sea surface temperatures play a huge role in marine science because they impact so many different areas of our research, such as physics, chemistry, and biology. And as Hurricane Dorian reminded me, they also impact our weather and climate. And in the last episode, I defined some terms. So here's a reminder of them. One of our first definitions was temperature. And we define temperature, which is also sometimes called thermodynamic temperature, as the measure of the average kinetic energy of the particles in a system. And kinetic energy, which we also defined in the last episode, is the energy that a body possesses by virtue of being in motion. For example, for substances like water, water is made up of molecules of dihydrogen monoxide, or more famously referred to as H2O, which breaks down to two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom. So the faster that these water molecules move, the more kinetic energy it has, which means the higher the temperature of the water. And we defined absolute zero, or zero Kelvin, as the point or temperature where all molecules stop moving, which would be perceived as really, really cold because zero Kelvin is negative 273 degrees Celsius or negative 460 degrees Fahrenheit. And for me, that's just really hard to even fathom because the coldest I've personally ever experienced so far has only been negative 80 degrees Celsius or negative 112 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the temperature of some of the freezers that we have at the lab where we store special water samples. And in the last episode, I asked the question, how do you get water molecules to move faster, or rather increase in temperature? And for the purposes of this podcast and the last episode and this episode, I said the answer to the question is to add heat. And heat we defined as a flow of energy or transfer of energy. And there are three main ways that heat as energy can flow. That's by convection, conduction, and radiation. And hold on to that thought for right now because we're going to be circling back to this in future episodes. And also in the last episode, we said that the main source of energy for the ocean comes from the sun in the form of electromagnetic radiation. And for my research and for the purposes of this podcast, I'll be referencing to energy in units of joules and or watts unless I specifically state otherwise. And so the surface of the ocean receives energy in the form of radiation from the sun, which is then transformed into heat energy. And we said that because the Earth is a giant sphere-like shape and tilted roughly 23 degrees and orbits on an elliptical path around the sun, that the amount of radiation or insulation will be different depending on location, time of day, as well as time of year. But the general trend is that the equatorial regions have a higher sea surface temperature while it gets colder and colder the closer 
closer you move towards the poles. And I've posted a great sea surface temperature map image from the University of Wisconsin-Madison on the Salty Science Weebly page under the episode 5 slideshow. And I also included a link to NASA's website, which has a video that lets you see how surface temperatures change over time all across the globe. So make sure you check it out. They're really cool. Alright, so now as we begin this week's episode topic, imagine for a moment that you're on a beautiful tropical beach. It's a bright sunny day and there's a nice cool breeze. Then as you look out on the ocean, the waves are so delightfully crashing on the shores as if they're almost personally inviting you to take a swim. And you just can't resist, so you strip down to your swimsuit and run straight into the water. And after you make your way out into the water a little bit, so you're not constantly being pushed back to the shore by the waves, you start to notice something. When you position your feet straight down in the water versus floating on your back with your feet up, the water near your feet feels way colder than the water at your shoulders and neck. And if you were to venture out a little deeper into the water and do the same thing, you would notice that the water feels even colder near your feet, but the water near your chest, shoulders, and neck, that is depending on how deep you go, still feels relatively warm. And so this temperature difference is a small example of what's happening in the rest of the ocean. The surface water, for the most part, is warmer than the water below and gets colder the deeper you go. So why is this? Well, like I said in the last episode, and already in this episode, the sun emits energy in the form of solar radiation, and it reaches the surface of the ocean in the form of UV, visible, and infrared wavelengths. And it's mostly this energy that is responsible for the surface temperatures of the ocean. And I say mostly as it's a spoiler alert for future episodes. But okay, so now here's the key. The radiation energy that reaches the surface of the ocean, what we also have been referring to as insulation, doesn't make its way all the way to the bottom of the ocean. In fact, most of it is absorbed in the first few meters of the water. And if we think of the radiation energy in the form of wavelengths, these wavelengths come in different sizes or lengths. And so from smallest to largest, the smallest being UV or ultraviolet wavelengths, then you have the visible range with violet being the smallest of the visible spectrum, then blue, green, yellow, orange, and red being the longest of the visible, then even longer still, is what we refer to as infrared. And of course, when it comes to electromagnetic radiation, there are even smaller wavelengths such as gamma and x-rays, and even longer such as microwave and radio waves. But like I said before, the radiation entering our atmosphere from the sun is dominated by UV, visible, and infrared wavelengths. And so when it comes to the ocean, and really any body of water, including lakes and swimming pools, the longer wavelengths get absorbed the quickest in the water column. So infrared radiation is the first to be absorbed at the surface. And then a little deeper in the water, red is absorbed, followed by orange and yellow, then green and blue. However, violet doesn't penetrate quite as deep and neither does UV, or actually it barely penetrates at all. Okay, so jumping back to our topic, the majority of the insulation from the sun, which is transformed into heat energy, which then increases water temperature, is completely absorbed in the first 100 to 200 meters of the water, or that's roughly 300 to 700 feet. But the average ocean depth is about 4,000 meters deep, or roughly two and a half miles. So all that deep water of the ocean 
is just not getting heated up by the sun. And if we were to look at what we call a vertical temperature profile, which is a graph plotting temperature and depth, we would see that on average, you would see that the very surface of the ocean has warmer water, then as you go slightly deeper, the water is cooler but remains relatively the same. And this portion we call the mixed surface layer. And this is because winds help mix the heat of the very surface downward into the water. But then as you go deeper, the water starts getting cold very quickly. And this rapid decrease in temperature with depth we call the thermocline. And then at about a thousand meters deep, the water stays about the same temperature regardless of how much deeper you go. And this colder, deeper water remains roughly between zero degrees and three degrees Celsius or 32 to 37 degrees Fahrenheit. And it remains this temperature all year long, regardless of time of day, time of season, or even where you are on the globe. And of course, there are exceptions like if you're near a hydrothermal vent, but for right now, we're just going to be focusing on the big picture and the general trend. And fun side story, in 2017, I was a volunteer on a Hawaiian Ocean Time Series research cruise, also called a hot cruise, and I went on cruise number 294. And so anyway, these cruises, these hot cruises, go out once a month and travel to station Aloha, which is about 100 kilometers north of Oahu, Hawaii where they routinely collect water samples and other information in order to monitor things that are happening in the ocean. And multiple times throughout the cruise, they deploy this large circular frame called a rosette. And this rosette housed 24 large bottles called Niskin bottles, which Niskin bottles are a special type of container used in oceanography and marine science that lets us collect water samples at specific depths because they can be lowered through the water column with both ends open. And then when they get to the desired depth, both ends will just snap closed. But more on this concept later. And so the hot crews had a large rosette with 24 Niskin bottles and they collected water from 24 different depths from the surface all the way down to the bottom of the ocean at 4,000 meters deep or 2.5 miles deep. And the rosette also had other sensors mounted to it so that we can measure things like temperature, salinity, pressure, and oxygen, as well as some other fun stuff. And when the rosette was brought back up on board the ship, the Niskin bottles have these nozzles so that different teams of scientists would be able to go around to collect water from the different depths for their own research needs. And then after all the teams were finished collecting the water that they needed, it was then my job as a volunteer to go around and make sure that all the Niskin bottles were empty and prepped for the next deployment. And so what this would mean is I'd have to open up both ends and half the time I'd get splashed with water depending on if the labs and teams collected a lot of water from that particular depth or just a little. And so I got very familiar with the different water temperatures of the North Pacific Ocean very quickly as I emptied the Niskin bottles and got splashed by the water. And so fun side fact, the bottles around the rosette were in order by depth. So as you walked around, like bottle number one would be from depth one, and then as you go deeper, bottle number two would be a little deeper, and so on and so forth around the circle. And it was really neat to see, or rather feel, that the bottles with the water from the shallower depths were fairly warm. And then as you got a little deeper, it got a little cooler. And then all of a sudden it got icy. The deeper water literally felt like ice water and I was half expecting there to be ice in the bottle. But as you remember from episode one and two, seawater has a lower freezing point so no ice was found in the bottles. And so while this cruise collected water from only one area of the North Pacific, you can for the most part think of the whole ocean as having the same trend. You have warmer water at the surface, then it starts to get a little colder the deeper that you go, and all of a sudden the water starts to get colder and colder really quickly, even though you may not have moved much 
deeper into the water column. And then at some point, at some depth, the water is cold and it remains relatively the same super cold temperature all the way down to the bottom. And of course, the big exception to this trend is the water near the poles, which is pretty much the same super cold temperatures from top to bottom. Okay, so now let's do a quick comparison. Imagine you're on a research cruise and you're traveling the Atlantic Ocean from the South Pole all the way up to the North Pole. And along the way, you stop at multiple locations and collect water samples at multiple depths, just like we did on the hot cruise. And so if you were to look at water temperatures at the different depths from the South Pole to the North Pole along the Atlantic Ocean, you would see that the surface temperatures start out really cold at the South Pole. And then as you would move towards the equator, the water would get warmer and warmer. And then once you pass the equator, they start to get colder and colder again, the further you move away from the equator and towards the North Pole. So the surface has a really large temperature range and we're looking at a range from about 0 degrees Celsius to 25, 26 degrees Celsius. I don't want to say specific numbers right now because every area is slightly different. And also we've been having things happen in our ocean and so sea surface temperatures change. But the main takeaway is that there is a large range of temperatures versus if you look at temperatures from deeper water, say about a thousand meters or even deeper, the water temperature from the South Pole to the equator and from the equator to the North Pole is roughly the same. And that's the other big takeaway. The surface of the ocean has a pretty large range of temperatures from the South Pole to the equator to the North Pole, but the deeper ocean has a very small range of temperatures and is roughly the same temperature from the South Pole to the equator to the North Pole. And I'll quickly say it right now, but I'll be going into it in more detail in our next episode, that when we measure temperature at different depths, we'll make sure to note whether the temperature is in situ or potential, which in situ, which basically means a direct thermometer or thermistor reading. So if you stick a thermometer in the water, whatever the reading is, that's an in situ temperature. But if you've ever gone scuba diving or snorkeling or just swam in the deep end of a swimming pool, you'll notice that the deeper you go, there's more pressure. And if you've ever filled a tire with air, you may have noticed that the tire will start to feel warm as you add more air pressure. And likewise, if you let air out of the tire, the air coming out feels colder because there's less pressure on the air coming out. And so the same thing, or rather the same concept, is actually happening in the ocean. Deeper water has more pressure, and the pressure is coming from the weight of the water above it. So if we take a thermometer or a thermistor down to the bottom of the ocean, it will give us a slightly warmer temperature because of the pressure. Versus if we were to take a sample of water and just and raise it up to the surface, it would mean that there would be less pressure, it would expand, and so the water would actually be cooler. And so when we take a temperature of deep ocean areas, we'll often try to account for this pressure added heat. And so when we calculate that out, we refer to it as potential temperature. But more details on this in the next episode, because this all plays a huge role in water density. All right, so that's the end of my notes for this episode. So just to do a quick review, in this episode, we've reviewed our definition of temperature, heat, energy, kinetic energy, and insulation, as well as introduced the new terms vertical temperature profile, mixed surface layer, thermocline, as well as in situ and potential temperature. And the three big takeaways from this episode are, one, the sun is the main source of energy that heats the surface of the ocean, but that energy gets absorbed very quickly in the water column so it doesn't make its way all the way down to the deeper ocean. Takeaway number two, on average, the surface of the ocean has warmer water than deeper ocean water. And 
am big takeaway number three. From the South Pole to the North Pole, the surface of the ocean has a large range of temperatures, but the deep ocean has a rather small range of temperatures. Okay, so now as we close, let's look at the question, why do marine scientists care? Well, the answer to this question might be different depending on the area of research. For instance, temperatures impact deep sea organisms, and because there is a difference between the top of the ocean and the bottom of the ocean, it's going to have a big impact on density, which means it's going to impact stratification as well as global ocean circulation, and there are so many other reasons which we'll be getting into more detail in future episodes. And so now to give you the answer to the question, why do I personally care about this? Well, as a marine scientist, my area of research, which right now is focused on estuaries, needs to take into account temperature changes with depth because it tells us all about the different biological and chemical processes. And probably the most important reason is because it plays a huge role in water density and stratification, which tells us about estuary circulation, but more on that later. And then also, why do I personally care? Well, probably the biggest reason is because I'm a scuba diver and knowing that the water temperature changes with depth actually helps me plan a dive. For instance, if I know that I'm going on a deeper dive, I know that I need to plan ahead and make sure that I take into account that there will be a drastic temperature difference the deeper I go. And so I need to make sure that I'm wearing the proper gear so that I'm not freezing when I'm in deeper water, which not wearing the proper gear and getting really cold is just never fun. So now it's time for me to ask you the same question. Why should we care? Based on what you've heard in this episode or from your own personal experiences, why should we care about the different ocean temperatures? And if you'd like to share your answer, feel free to email me at saltysciencepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what you have to say. And your answer might just be read aloud on air in our very first listeners episode. Or if you send me an audio clip, you might just hear your own voice in our first listeners episode. All right, so next week we'll be putting temperature and salinity together so that we can start our discussion on density. So I highly recommend that if you're a new listener to listen to episodes one and two before next week. And if you've already listened to episode one and two, go ahead and listen to them again. It'll just make next week even more fun. Okay, so until next week, don't forget to reduce, reuse, recycle, and refuse, and to always stay salty. Thank you for listening to Salty Science. But guess what? You don't have to let the fun end here. Go to www.saltysciencepodcast.weebly.com where I've posted some cool videos, my study notes, and some really neat experiments that you can try at home. And if you want to follow along with my own research, you can follow me on Instagram user handle Teps Adventure. That's T-E-P-S Adventure. All Salty Science episodes are available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcast, and YouTube, plus a number of other podcasting apps. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes as this is the best way to spread the word about this podcast. Salty Science is listener supported, so if you would like to show your support, visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash salty science, where you can either make a one-time donation of any amount or join the Salty Science crew for as little as a dollar a month. So visit the Salty Science Patreon and sign up today.